0: need to have anxiety so i gotta get back
1: gotta get back
0: yeah just like the beatles
1: well on that note uh welcome everybody to the inaugural episode of the raincoat report
0: yeah it's the first one that's what inaugural means uh hello and welcome to the raincoat report you said it twice in case you forgot
1: all right, so we're uh, we're well on our way to uh, podcasting greatness now.
0: Yeah, we've got it figured out. Uh, I don't listen to them. Uh, never heard one. People say, listen to a podcast, and I'm going to be one of those people now. But just about this one. That's great. Yeah, it's my life's work now, because I don't have a job.
1: <laughs> well, that's one way of looking at it. Um, yeah, there's no better... Uh, there's no better endorsement for a podcast than somebody who doesn't listen to podcasts trying to tell people to listen to his.
0: I refuse. Um, And you know what? That's just the way I do things. I'm an outsider. I'm a maverick. Um, Like John McCain. Like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, someone else you like. Whoever you like politically, that's who I'm like. Just like me, okay, okay. Uh, All right.
1: So uh, I think that we should start by uh, kind of introducing the idea of the podcast oh, and yeah. uh, what our what our goal is. Oh yeah. Uh,
0: I already told you about the goal. We're getting to the meat of it, but you weren't recording it.
1: Well, you should probably talk about it while we are recording it, so that people know.
0: You're right. Okay. Uh, Basically, I had the idea a week ago, and I said to Boss, let's start a classic porn podcast called The Raincoat Report, just because the name was funny, and he was pretty enthusiastic about it, and now we've been swept along on the tides of fate, and here we are for the first episode. Uh, The basic idea is just to talk about the golden age of porn, the period from the the late 60s to the mid-80s, basically. Uh, And sometimes go a little bit beyond that, you know, just uh, we're here for the story, we're here for the character development, uh, the cinematography, the lighting, the music, Uh, you go down that list and whatever number I stopped at, below that is the sucking and fucking, which we'll talk about, but really, it's more of a visual thing, it's all a visual thing, but, you know, uh i'm running out of steam all right toss it back to
1: boss (laughs) all right so uh i am uh one of your co-hosts here uh just call me boss
0: it's boss uh
1: and uh my counterpart here
0: yeah i'm um jeremy hello
1: this is this is a very well organized beginning to our podcast yeah Uh, we um Whenever people go back to listen to our podcast from the beginning, they're going to get this exceptional gem of an introduction. Yeah, the beginning.
0: you can really just listen to it in any order, to be honest. Um, it'll be fine. You listen to it however you want. If you never listen to this episode, that's okay, but maybe you should.
1: In my mind, People have discovered it like two years from now. Oh yeah! And by uh, that time, we're like a well-oiled machine, and we have everything figured out. Yeah. And all of the discussions and conversations that we have are very confident and like well thought out. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And we're we're experts in this field, and we're oh, an man. authority that people look forward to. Yeah. And then they come back to this episode and listen to us. Just trying to figure out how to make our way through the episodes.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a real, it'll be a real journey for them and for us. Um, we're podcasting this from the future now. I think though, where we're confident.
1: All right, we can. We'll go with that. Okay. Um, I
0: projected myself forward two years into the future.
1: All right, so Jeremy from the future.
0: Yes, that's me. Let's go. All right. Um, the f- I believe we're going to talk. We're going to discuss two films today. Uh,
1: maybe just one.
0: Maybe just one. We're and then maybe just,
1: we'll discuss the other one next week, depending on.
0: We'll see how long this takes. Uh, so, this is Jeremy from the present again. I'm not confident anymore.
1: <laughs> so uh, you know, at this point, I've made a, an investment in microphones, which means that we're obligated to do at least a few episodes, or oh, else yeah, I've we, wasted my money.
0: Oh yeah. So
1: uh, we're gonna we're uh, we're deep. We've got to get hit the ground running.
0: All right, we are um, now indebted to Boss for some microphones. So let's talk about some pornography.
1: All right, so uh, so our goal here on the uh, Raincoat Report had to remember the name of the podcast again. Again, like in two years, it's going to be second nature for me to say the name of the podcast. But today, in the present... It's the
0: Rainbow Report.
1: It's the Rainbow Report. Mm. So, the uh, idea behind the Raincoat Report, as uh, Jeremy so eloquently mentioned, was to oh, go yeah. back and look, especially at the classic uh, golden age of pornography. But mm. not just that. I think that we'll, as we go through, we'll dabble in newer stuff and mm-hmm. older stuff, uh, dig into sexploitation as well. One of the uh, films we've watched in the past week kind of falls more in line with. But, uh, Jeremy, what is it about this golden age of pornography that interests you so much?
0: Well, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, I'm definitely, I like it as an art form. I like that America at the time was apparently ready to embrace hardcore pornography as an art form. They would say, honey, get your coat. We're going down to see Deep Throat. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, back in 72, uh, and it lasted, you know, quite a while. Uh, eventually video came and killed the porno star, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's just, I want to focus on that. I like the attention to detail that a lot of the films have. I think one of the first ones I saw was, uh, opening of Misty Beethoven by, uh, with a Brad, Bradley Meltzker. Metzger. Metzker. There's a lot of people with that last name i get them mixed up um that was a good one you know it was uh it's the first time i was like you know what this is art um that's and now i'm dedicating my life to it
1: so what is it about this uh particular era of pornography that stands out to you versus what we see today or saw in the 90s and
0: um since i think definitely like i said more attention to uh the, the nuts and bolts of the business the plot the tiny bit of character development you get sometimes uh, music certainly uh, you know it's not all just the bow chicka wow wow stuff you get uh, crazy bongo music you get uh,
1: <laughs> lots of lots of funk and lots uh, of funk rock. some
0: some good uh you know one movie movie we're talking about today uh, you get some classic big band war swinging kind of sounds occasionally yeah um, you know just uh, cinematography plot keeps talking about the plot the plot the plot uh, you know what I'm in it for the sex I'm gonna go ahead and just say it <laughs> I'm not gonna hide it anymore I want to see I want to see people doing what they do.
1: That's that's fair. Yeah, you know, to me, this era of pornography is special in comparison to what we see a lot today. Where there's a lot of um, there's a lot of crossover here uh, mm-hmm. in this era of pornography with all of the other uh, low budget. Films being made at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of overlap with the different types of exploitation film That's going true. on at the time. A lot of
0: genre stuff, a lot of horror porn, a lot of a lot of mystery, entry uh, yeah. yeah, you go ahead.
1: Yeah, at this time in uh, in film history, so to speak, uh, one of the you know one of the first stops for a lot of directors coming out of film school was mm-hmm. getting on these porn productions. The thing was that because uh, at the time these porn movies were making so much money in these theaters as they were uh, uh, circulating across the country, doing the circuits around the country, yeah, um, they were pretty much guaranteed to make their money back. And because of that, these young filmmakers were given an opportunity to make films in cases where you know, uh, Universal Pictures wasn't going to finance them, but... No. Uh, one of these smaller companies, uh, one of these producers who was, might have been laundering money from some shady oh, business yeah. ventures...
0: some yeah, mafia... To get into the mafia connections at some point, maybe, and really dig in and figure out who's financing this.
1: There's a There's a very good conversation to be had about deep throat specifically we'll we'll get to that one of these weeks but excellent um regardless what that ended up with was a whole generation of porn directors who were who considered themselves artists and i mean there are definitely still directors to this day who have that feeling Mm -hmm. as well but a lot of people who actually went on to make uh You know, more mainstream films actually started in pornography Mm -hmm. uh, and operated under pseudonyms. Uh, One of the famous examples being Wes Craven. Uh, He made the film The Fireworks Woman, I believe it is, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, before he made Last House on the Left and all of that other stuff. Uh, And there is a lot of um, chatter about, you know, more famous directors uh, having been in similar situations. Scorsese.
0: Scorsese.
1: Um, perhaps. Perhaps. I'm wildly
0: <laughs> speculating. Abel Ferreira, Ferreira. Abel Ferreira
1: for sure. We'll yeah. definitely talk about uh, his film, uh, Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy, at some point. Yes. Um, that was before he made the classic Driller Killer and Miss 45 and oh, various other films. Uh, a, have you seen Driller Killer?
0: I have not. I need to see it. Um, uh, did you ever watch Miss 45? I haven't yet. We've both seen different Abel Ferreira movies. We need to meet in the middle and watch Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy.
1: Okay. All right. We'll, we'll do that. Okay.
0: Uh, Abel Ferreira week coming up.
1: Yeah. Look forward <laughs> to that, kids. Um, but as far as the films themselves, one of the things that I really appreciate are is uh, is the pacing of these films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, modern pornography there's there are definitely modern films with good pacing but the vast majority of them they're like two and a half hours long and have like 40 minute long sex scenes and it's a lot to get through to just sit down and watch a movie um i feel like the idea is that uh there's an audience for that that sees you know a super long movie with super long sex scenes is a great value but as somebody who sometimes just wants to sit down and watch a smutty movie start to finish, having good pacing and being in and out in 90 minutes is something I appreciate a lot.
0: Yeah, I had uh, the guy who owns the snake that I watch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's a lot of background story there that I don't think we need to go into, but no. that's that's just a fun uh, uh, introduction to a yeah, statement. Yeah,
0: right, yeah, the guy who's snake that I watch. Uh, he brought over a family guy I like porn film once because he thought it was funny uh it was not i was expecting <laughs> like i was expecting the sex to come through you know like cutaway gags or something traditionally you know family guy related but it's just every character boning every other character for about 20 minutes at a time uh yeah it was a uh, what i would call a film it's what i would call a travesty
1: it was it uh did you watch it with your snake guy
0: yes was that uh, awkward Uh, A little bit, yeah. And also, um, one of my roommates was there, too. Uh, She wasn't into it at all. Uh, And the snake guy, I think, kind of scared her because he would just corner her and just talk and talk and talk. Uh, And we'll have him on, too. We'll have Snake Man on. Uh, He has a lot to say because he's on a lot of cocaine.
1: Well, hey, you know, whatever works.
0: That's snake owners for you.
1: (laughs) All right. So um, we'll we'll talk a bit more about the history of pornography as we go on. I think that this, um, you know, these past few years, I think that both of us have kind of started to dig into this uh, glorious history of classic pornography. Oh,
0: yeah, for sure. And
1: uh, I wouldn't say that we're experts yet, but we're working on becoming experts.
0: It's the purpose, the real. So I can put. Um... So I'm just put this on my resume eventually. <laughs> uh, porn historian.
1: Uh, which uh, what job opening are you planning on putting that on the resume for?
0: Um, you know, all openings.
1: <laughs> all openings must be filled.
0: Yeah, you know, if you got an opening, let me know. Send me an email.
1: <laughs> all right. Um,
0: porn historian.
1: So, uh, for the record, did you set up uh, social media accounts for our podcast? I know you were talking about it.
0: I've set up an Instagram so far. Um, you can just find it at uh, Rainco Report. Just one word. There's no dashes. No periods. Just one word. Um, I'll be setting up a Twitter at some point. Uh, as long as no one's taking it, taking it yet, it should just be at Rainco Report. Um, All right. So if it's not, I'll let you know the numbers that come after it. (laughs)
1: Okay. So what we'll do is we'll uh, once we have everything set up, we'll probably insert that into the audio here, uh, rather than just giving speculation on what our uh, social media accounts might be.
0: I think speculation is so keeps the economy going.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So uh, we'll go ahead and get started Uh, today's topic uh we'll dig into here in just a moment so hang tight and uh enjoy
2: we started something we
1: didn't finish i bet you know a lot of
2: women don't you i know how you detectives are but every time i call your office you answer don't you have a secretary she committed suicide not enough sex couldn't you have helped the poor thing? Listen, I did what I could. We were at it night and day, but I had to stop every couple of hours to clean my gun. You know how detectives are. Do you carry a gun? Only when I need one. Tickles. Am I going to need one? I hope not.
1: Kiss me. In preparation for discussing today's topic, I went ahead and listened to an episode of the Rialto Report, which reproduced a 1987 interview that uh, fellow porn star Richard Pacheco did with Lisa DeLeo uh, to give us a little bit of backstory on her, so I'm going to share a little bit of information I picked up from there on uh lisa's background and uh how she got in the industry and things as they relate to uh, this film in particular uh, so lisa DeLeo started her career in 1978 first doing stills uh she lived in illinois at first mm-hmm. um and moved to la to uh join the adult business first as i said doing uh Still modeling, nude modeling, and then uh, eventually working her way into film. Lisa's uh, first film was 800 Fantasy Lane, which she did for Svetlana, who uh, was uh, credited just as Svetlana. Oh, okay. Uh, um, she said that she had a pretty miserable time on that shoot. Uh, she had pink eye going into it, apparently. Oh, Worked 20-hour days. Uh their, uh, craft services was cold hot dogs and cold coffee. Uh, and during filming of the film, Jamie Gillis broke her nose.
0: Oh, great. Uh, how?
1: Well, that's a fun story. Okay. There was a fantasy scene that they were doing, uh, where she was in full body makeup dressed as a leopard. She had been working all day in a hot warehouse mm-hmm. and, uh, she had to do three hours of getting that makeup put on her. Right. So...
0: what was off situation.
1: Uh, she blamed uh, Svetlana, the director, for getting involved and doubling the amount of time that it took. So after working this long day, uh, she passed out. Uh, but when she woke up, Svetlana was like, hey, can you still do the scene? And she was like, I guess. She agreed to do the scene, but she was just going to sit to the side and growl rather than like being fully involved in the scene on account of her passing out.
0: Yeah. Just a little (laughs) kind of thing on the side.
1: Uh, I guess that was the idea.
0: I I haven't seen the film. I haven't either. I'll have to check it out and see this Catwoman. She sounds important.
1: Anyway, so she was, uh, she was off to the side uh, and she was going to sit there and growl, but, Jamie Gillis pulled her into the scene, and because the camera was rolling, she was like, all right, I guess I'll just go along with it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the things to keep in mind when we're talking about these old films is uh, film stock wasn't cheap. That was one of the big expenses of working on these films, so you didn't want to waste it. You just kind of wanted to go along with whatever, if you could.
0: Oh, no SAG protections, probably. Yeah, there were probably... uh,
1: (laughs) there probably wasn't a lot of uh, union you know, uh, stuff going on in OSHA, especially in the porn industry. You know,
0: OSHA wasn't on the set. They weren't involved <laughs> at all.
1: Uh, at this point in history, for the most part, you were trying to keep any authorities at all from knowing that you were working on this.
0: Right. You got to they'll, they'll raid you. They'll bust you. And they'll fuck you and they won't pay you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You want to if you're going to get fucked, you want to get paid for it.
0: That's what we're talking about.
1: So anyway, uh, going back to this scene, Mm -hmm. so uh, Jamie pulled her into it, and in the scene, you know, she was dressed as a leopard, and there were, I believe, a couple other girls uh, painted as different things, Mm -hmm. and Jamie Gillis was uh, in this lion tamer role, and he had a whip with a leather handle, and he was swinging it around his head, and he popped it, but when he did it, he accidentally hit Lisa right on the bridge of her nose uh-huh. with the handle of it and broke her nose. Fantastic. Uh according to her, she got mad and grabbed the whip and dragged Jamie around the set and calling him names. Uh the cinematographer Gary Graver um Does he who, dispute that. No, he yeah. uh well, according to Lisa, uh-huh. he, you know, he was reacting to it, saying this is great, keep filming and they kept going. So, um Gary Graver is notable for having been the cinematographer for Orson Welles in his last years. Oh, okay. uh, He did a lot of classy stuff, but he also did just tons of porn and exploitation films too. He's an interesting character.
0: Yeah, you you know, it's uh, it's the kind of person I hope to be one day.
1: Um, So on top of all of that, as I said earlier on this first shoot, she uh, had pink eye. Uh-huh. And Jamie Gillis uh, came in her eye. Oh, yeah. When she already had pink eye. Uh, so, overall, she was not pleased with all of that. Um, no. She later reconciled with Jamie Gillis and worked with him a lot later. But uh, she felt that he kind of just had to be put in his place.
0: Sure, by beating him with the whip. Uh, <laughs> and you know, sometimes it's all it takes. Uh, sometimes it's just all it takes. You got to get him with the whip. When we were talking about the pink eye. Uh, is there a story behind that? Did they just... Did, how'd she get pink eye? Did she say? Uh,
1: no, I think it, she probably got.
0: You Think she got some, took some cum in her eye.
1: Probably not, since this was her first porn film. I Maybe mean, I guess she could casual, have extra. Casually
0: on the side.
1: Potentially. Uh, there were no details given about the origin yeah. of the pink eye, so I guess you can fill in whatever you want. I would assume that it was something fairly normal.
0: I just had a friend who told me that, like, I don't know how we, she even got to this, this conversation, but she told me she got pink eye from people coming in her eye before, and I'm like, that's pretty gross.
1: So in, in this scenario, talking about these people coming in your friend's eye, yeah. do you know if this was something that they did intentionally?
0: Um, I think they were, I don't think they were trying to get pink eye. Well, I'm Um, sure
1: that they weren't trying to give her pink eye, but I'm guessing. I think it was
0: just, you know, it's the facial and, you know, you're never sure of the load size or the trajectory, really. It's just a, it's a shot in the dark. (laughs) Um, It's
1: a, it's a shot. All right.
0: Yeah. It's gonna, you know, hopefully it doesn't get in your eyes and hopefully if it does, you've got enough sense to close your eyes.
1: All right. Let me ask you a personal question here. Uh
0: Uh-huh. I've never had... No, I have had come in my eye.
1: (laughs) I wasn't going to ask that, but... Oh, okay. I guess that that clarifies a question that wasn't asked. Yeah. Um, But...
0: It was my own. It was a disaster.
1: Yeah, I mean... (laughs) That's fair.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I will go on the record to say that that hasn't happened to me. I've never gotten it in my eyes. You idiot. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. I'm the idiot for not getting it in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, My personal question is... In your in your personal life, uh-huh. I guess as opposed to your professional life, I don't have one. That's right, it you're is. unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> um, in your in your life, yeah, personal or professional, it's just all the do same. You, do uh-huh. you find yourself giving a lot of facials?
0: Uh, they're not as popular as porn would have led me to believe, <laughs> but some people like them. The uh, I mean, one thing I don't like really is I have to always go get like a towel or. A washcloth or something. And I don't mind doing that. I just don't also. I'm just lazy, I guess, really, ultimately. And I don't want to help people. <laughs> <laughs> they never. They never go. You never go get it. I've never seen it in a movie. They never go get a towel.
1: No, that's, that's fair. That's why these movies are so misleading.
0: Yeah, I'm just simping for ladies going getting towels so they can clean come off their eyes, guy. You know, it's guys and guys and dolls.
1: I uh, I think that I've given two in my life, and both uh-huh. times I just cackled when I did it. So it's not. It's
0: <laughs> like a witch, <laughs> 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 like you did it mischievously. Like you were like, Hee, he, he, I'm really gonna fucking give it. I'm getting them now.
1: <laughs> it's <laughs> it's <laughs> something that like in I. I don't know, like, I can appreciate it in a film, but, like, when I do it myself, it doesn't, like, do anything for me this erotically. Makes, yeah. It's just, like, a big mess, and yeah. both times I just I just cackled. Cackled. Because <laughs> it's just so goofy.
0: <sighs>
1: it's not practical. But it's, that's that's one of those reasons why you can't trust uh, pornography as sex education.
0: Yeah, um, if you're under 18 and listening to this, uh, read a book. Read Wikipedia, even. Don't trust porn. It's uh, it's all a lie. It's all made by people in Hollywood. who are just trying to warp you morally. Um, go read a book.
1: <laughs> uh, so, uh, back to uh, Lisa. Lisa DeLeo. So, yeah. um, you know, the, uh, the interview I listened to went into a lot of things, yeah. but uh, we won't go... Too deep down the rabbit hole into any sure. of it. Um, at this point, when this interview was conducted in 1987, yeah. uh, one of the things that she had talked about was that she took a year off uh, a few years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it was around the time that AIDS had hit. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And all the directors were wanting nothing but anal scenes, basically. and
0: That's the worst. That's, that's how you get it. That's the the major way, right? That's like one of them. Um, um, I don't know. We don't have to speculate on my lack of medical knowledge.
1: But she... uh, (laughs) uh, We we just need to make a note here that the Raincoat Report does not uh, try to... uh,
0: We're not doctors. We're
1: not doctors. Uh, You should not use us for Uh, medical advice. I'm
0: not licensed to do anything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Are you licensed to drive?
0: Uh, right now I am, but that could change
1: at any time. By the time you listen to this, it might not be true.
0: Yeah, um, if you're listening to this two years, I need a ride to work.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, anyhow, she ended up getting back into the business. Uh Uh, One of the things that was a big topic of this conversation was eight Confusion and concern, yeah, um, because you know we are talking about the late '80s and uh, AIDS was something that really ravaged the porn industry. Yeah, and it and it really took off around the same time that the home video market like became a big thing with porn. So it was kind of a one-two punch between uh, AIDS and like the video video market, which led to plummeting uh, budgets and stuff that really kind of put an end to the big-scale uh, porn boom that was going on beforehand. Yeah. Um, one thing that she said specifically was uh, she was asked about uh, what her best role was, and she brought mm-hmm. up uh Dixie Ray Hollywood star. Right, um, I right. mean, this is a – Fine film. This is uh, her quote about that. uh uh-huh. She said that Dixie Ray Hollywood star was a pretty tough one because I was playing an older woman, which at the time I was not. And she was an actress on the downhill side of her career, was going broke, and was also a manipulative murderer. Right. So in one scene, I'm smiling and just coy, and in the next scene, I'm crazy screaming. And it was a tough one. A lot of emotion went into it. It left me drained. Um, She talked about how comedy roles uh, were a blast for her, but she enjoyed the dramatic ones as well. Uh, but she ended up by saying that Dixie Ray was one of her best.
0: Yeah, I would, uh, I would say you know she does play an older woman, and I really, I couldn't really tell her age, but I thought she did. Uh, she handled that pretty well. Yeah, uh, very convincing role. Uh, I'm not surprised she won an Avian award
1: for it. Yeah. Um, so we'll get back to that here in a second. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know overall uh, one of the strange things when we go back to talk about Lisa DeLeo is that she kind of vanished off of the face of the earth around 93 or so um, yeah, that's, uh, that's... so her, her last film credit was in 95 although the odds are it was probably shot well before then mm-hmm. um, you know and that's going off of IMDB info so uh, you know buyer beware
0: yeah you gotta it's a it's a sketchy world and you gotta get a you know it's a lot like the underworld of dixie ray hollywood star when you get down to it
1: so when it comes to what happened with uh lisa de leo i'm gonna pass things off to my good buddy jeremy who did some research into this so to begin with i'll i'll go ahead and give you the uh Serve you the ball, so to speak, here. Yeah. So, one of the things that we had seen about her was that she was thought to have died in 93 from AIDS.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the things. Uh, but even then, there was some speculation on that. Uh, some just different conflicting reports. Uh, but the nature of the business at the time, you know, you gave a lot of fake names, so you kind of slip in and out if you want. Uh, She went by, like, a couple different names. She was Lisa DeUga. She was Lisa Woods. uh, Lisa Trago seems to be her full name, which she went by in the R-rated cut of Dixie Ray. uh, And Lil Redhead among those. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, it's possible. She's either dead and in the ground some... Some 20-something years. Or she might have just retired and slipped out of the industry. You know, she'd, uh, she obviously went to probably about as far as you could go at that point. Uh, she won some top awards. She was uh, inducted into the X-Rated Critics Organization Hall of Fame at some point. Uh, what else? But she vanished. She slipped out of sight. Uh, but, you know, I did a little bit of online, underground sleuthing. I ended up at a find-a-grave site. Uh, and a comment there said, she's alive in a well, and you can say hello to her on Facebook. Uh, I didn't go quite that far. I stopped short of messaging her, but I looked up the name that was given. And, you know, I found some pictures of uh, this lady and Lisa comparing them. From her uh probably from the early eighties to now. There's some similarity in the jawline, I think you would agree, boss. Yeah. Uh some of the facial features match up. But it's been almost thirty years, I figure, at this point. If she wanted to come forward, she would have come forward. Uh so let's just leave her alone.
1: Yeah, that's you know, uh just, that's our official raincoat report recommendation is yeah. leave Lisa alone if she is still alive. Uh it might also just be some random woman who yeah. might have shared a name with her and uh maybe looks slightly similar but uh has never had anything to do with the porn industry.
0: Yeah, uh so I wouldn't recommend wouldn't recommend asking her uh about pornography. She just wants to spend time with her granddaughters.
1: So uh this interview that I listened to from 87 uh-huh. uh Richard Pacheco asked her Uh, Where does she see herself in 10 years at that point? And she said, I'll probably be a balmy, own a video store or something. She said that she might still dabble in directing, but couldn't see herself still acting or stripping. But uh, she kind of adds to that, that she would never look down on the business or anything like that. I believe she brought up uh, Linda Lovelace. Oh, and how oh, yeah. in the 80s she had been kind of, uh, kind of turned on the turned on the industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she never kind of saw herself being that way. But, you know, going forward, you know, if she is still alive, I'm sure that she's just kind of moved on to the next chapter in her life.
0: Yeah, it doesn't involve taking dicks for money now,
1: maybe. Maybe, yeah. I
0: can't speculate that far. I didn't message her.
1: There's a pretty solid chance that in the year 2020 she is not taking dicks for a living anymore.
2: Well,
0: God bless her for all the ones she did take um, and committed to the screen so that we have these wonderful performances to enjoy. I like think we're going to get into our film today, uh, which is the previously mentioned Dixie Hollywood star.
1: Dixie Ray Hollywood Dixie, star. Dixie
0: Ray Hollywood star. From
1: which... uh, 1983, directed yeah. by Anthony Spinelli. Uh, we're going to get into that uh, here in just a moment, so hang on with us. and.
0: You named your cat after this movie.
1: Uh, to be clear, I did not name my cat after this movie. I named my cat after Dixie Kong, the uh, primate from the Donkey Kong Country series. She
0: didn't have pants either.
1: That's fair.
0: Yeah. All right, let's talk about the movie.
1: I thought
2: in Hollywood it was boy against girl. It's only on the screen. To me, it gets boring. Unless someone new comes along. You like my outfit? I even like that better than the sarong. Mm. So take the tour. I'll grind back. That's my good side always Hollywood <laughs> so pretend to the camera just remember the camera only looks suppose I want to uh, move in for a closer
1: <laughs> come talk to me today we are here to talk to you about uh, Dixie Ray Hollywood star from 1983 Um, This was directed by Anthony Spinelli and starring in the lead roles uh, Lisa DeLeo as Mm -hmm. Dixie Ray, the titular character, and uh, John Leslie as Nick Papadopoulos, private detective. Good old poppy. So, we'll uh, go ahead and walk through this film together and let you know the glory of this, but uh, I think that it's worth mentioning just how well made this film is, and we're going to be covering a wide variety of films here mm-hmm. um, and uh, next week's episode will be kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum from here Yeah, but it's always a delight to be able to talk about a really well made film
0: it's all downhill from here
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll just say we'll have ups and downs but I think that uh, our
0: uh, quality of our talk will not change it will remain at the same level um, but the films you know that's between God and the director. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think that God and Anthony Spinelli must have been getting along pretty well because this oh, yeah. one turned out pretty great.
0: He's close to the big man upstairs.
1: So, uh, oh. so we'll go ahead and talk about Dixie Ray, Hollywood star, and kind of do the play-by-play through the film. So, the <clears throat> oh, there we go. Okay,
0: great. So, Wonderful. This is good podcasting.
1: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All right. So the film opens up with uh, a shot of a stairwell and a guy coming up the steps. Mm-hmm. Um, as he comes towards the camera, uh, those eagle-eyed and uh, well well uh, acquainted with pornography will identify him as John Leslie. Yeah. Um, in this film, as I said before, he's playing Nick Papadopoulos, private detective,
0: aka the Greek.
1: A.K.A. the Greek, as uh, Cameron Mitchell, the lieutenant, repeatedly calls him. Yeah. Um, The camera then paces down the hallway after Nick goes into his office. Um, We see silhouettes through the window. It's kind of uh, clouded glass there, so we can't see exactly what's going on, but we can see some big hand gestures, and it sounds like an argument, but you can't really hear what's being said. Uh, and then finally, we hear a gunshot, and then we fade to black and get a date card uh, that... I
0: believe it's February 17th, 1943.
1: It is February 12th, 1943, Whatever. Friday at 7.10pm. No one cares. I uh, took notes.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I know. So, I thought it was a flashback. At first, I got very confused uh, when I... What was okay, going on? So uh, we It wasn't been- a flashback.
1: We have the date card, and then uh, we get back to Nick Papadopoulos, and he's mm-hmm. in his office in the dark, and he sits behind his desk, uh, and two detectives walk in. We have uh, the Lieutenant Cameron Mitchell, uh, the lieutenant played by Cameron Mitchell. Yeah,
0: no, his his name is the lieutenant, He's played by Cameron Mitchell, cult film uh, star, films with Clark Gable at one point in his career, and he is now...
1: Lots of uh, lots of Just
0: getting uh, drunk with John Leslie, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, th-
1: at this point in his career, he's been in a lot of different like horror films and yeah. exploitation films, and uh, he worked in on some like Italian genre cinema and stuff like mm-hmm. that. He's he was all over the place, but uh, in this film, he's playing the lieutenant in a uh, non-sex role. <laughs>
0: think. think- Kind of thankfully. I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes you want to see a grandpa ball somebody, but uh, probably not Cameron Mitchell.
1: Yeah, probably not. And But he's great in this film.
0: He's not a hot grandpa. Uh, the
1: other uh, the other officer, I'm not sure what the actor's name was there. I didn't make a note on it, but his no. name is Kramer.
0: I think it's something Reese is. Uh, I think it's Charles Reese. We're calling him Charles Reese.
1: Okay, we're going to go with Charles Reese. That may or may not be accurate.
0: We'll figure... You can go to... You you know how to use IMDb. You're an adult. Uh,
1: the uh, Raincoat Report does not uh, stand behind our information as factual. No. We'll, uh, we'll try to be as factual as possible, but sometimes we make stuff up. It's dirty work. It's dirty work about a dirty...
0: It's dirty... Genre. Yes, yeah, it's just dirty.
1: It's all dirty.
0: Yeah. Do you think uh, Cameron Mitchell... Because there is an R-rated cut of this we're going to talk about a little bit, too. Uh... Do you think he knew that there was going to be a pornography, a porno film attached to this?
1: Uh, IMDb would indicate that he did not.
0: Okay, that, would <laughs> that make was sense.
1: a uh, <laughs> that was one of the uh, fun facts on yeah. IMDb.
0: He got uh, he got Francoed like when uh, Jess Franco would just get Christopher Lee or someone to <laughs> yeah. come in and just stand around while some girls getting whipped off camera. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, just
1: Franco. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, Nick mentions that he called two hours ago, and they, you know, lots of noir talk throughout all of this. I'm not going to quote all of it because it's, you know, all a bunch of sassy dialogue, which is pretty cool. It's It's great. It's pretty
0: good. Yeah, they they do a decent job on the snappy dialogue. Uh,
1: they comment on him having his gun out. Um, so Nick shows the officers why he called them, and there's a dead body on the floor wrapped up in a, in a... A blanket or a carpet or something, and yeah. we can see that it's a woman in heels. So the lieutenant decides to stop and have a drink before calling this in and kind of ask Nick what happened here.
0: Very uh, matter of factual, very uh, uh, dragnet. He, uh,
1: he mentions he mentions that this is two bodies this week yeah. tied to Nick. Um, so um, Nick explains that it was Adrian who was Dixie Ray's secretary,
0: which they do not set up or tell you at all I don't think in the main cut.
1: Um, They I mean in both cuts really they explain this all through flashbacks but they explain it a lot less in this hardcore Yeah they
0: don't ever I don't think they ever say her name on screen um, in the porno cut. They... I feel like they don't.
1: They definitely do at this part in the porno cut. Right. Um, I'm not sure if they say her name later in the porno cut, but because they explain who it is and you see her in the film, yeah. you can kind of make those conclusions. But
0: We're not all as smart as you, boss. we got to, if it's not laid out for us in plain English...
1: I would say He's that lost. one of the big differences here uh, between Dixie Ray Hollywood star, the hardcore film, and It's Called Murder, Baby, which is the R-rated cut.
0: you got to say it like George Costanza when you say it in your head. You don't have to do it out loud, but in your head, just say it like him and it'll be funny.
1: Uh, how, how is that?
0: It's called Murder, Baby! You okay, know, just, yeah. You know, just a real outraged...
1: I do believe there's an exclamation point in there the title. There
0: is... It's so, um, it's called Murder Baby, which is also they do say the line eventually in the film, which is
1: it's it's one of the uh, key lines towards the end of the film. Yeah, we'll get to that.
0: Yeah, uh, we're getting to one of the first key lines of the film.
1: All right, so um, so we get to a flashback now after Nick's explained yeah. who it was. God, um, um, we have Nick coming into his office and seeing that Adrian, who was Dixie Ray's secretary, has right. said before. Yeah. Is in the office. Nick's returning from the beach. Um, And Adrian is offering Nick a blowjob. Now, Nick notes that Adrian is a lesbian. Yes, it's, uh, yeah. And uh, established. She says a line to the effect of, You're going to have to help me. It's been a long time.
0: Yeah. uh, Basically, my takeaway from the blowjob scene is that. It's like riding a bicycle, you know, if you, you never forget.
1: It's like nine eleven. you never forget.
0: It's like both of those things. Um, I don't know how to ride a bicycle, though, so, but, you know, I can suck a dick. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, uh, that's really, it's one or the other, but uh, obviously, if you watch the scene, she hasn't forgotten anything since the last time she gave one.
1: Yeah, she seems to do a pretty good job. Yeah,
0: she knew what she was doing.
1: There's a lot of banter in this scene. Um, like,
0: there's a lot of banter throughout the sex scenes in the movie. A lot of, yeah, in general. Well, sex talk. A lot
1: of. I made a lot of notes of it because that's some of the more there's amusing some of the things. Funny, yeah. Um, he asks her, uh, "What's it like when you eat those pussies?" Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a. It's at that point um, that she responds to the effect of, uh, "I love cock if it's a good cock." Yeah. Um, so she blows him a bunch, and then he, uh, she pulls his dick out of his out of her mouth as he yeah. blows his load, and she licks up the cum.
0: Yeah, it's a real mess.
1: Uh, Nick notes, "You have a good memory, you know. Again, yeah. like the bicycle, Right. just like never for, forget.
0: Yeah, you, know, you just don't forget."
1: So. It's here that we kind of get her motivation. She says that she wants him to not tell the police. Of course, we don't know what we're talking about just yet. In yeah. either version. This yeah. is us setting up what's going on. Right. Um, and he he responds to this worried about what's going to happen to old Charlie. Again, we don't know who he is yet, mm-hmm. but we'll figure out here soon. Uh, he says, a man's dead, you little bitch.
0: Oh, he may have man, been a little shit. I watched it three times. A man's dead, you stupid bitch. Ah. Uh, yeah, it's okay. good. He, Charlie's a little shit. Adrian's a stupid bitch. Right. Keep it straight. Okay. Okay. Uh,
1: she pulls out a gun and demands the negative from him. Again, we're, we don't know what this is yet, but we will soon. Yeah. So, of... she uh, she gives a warning shot. Uh, Nick pulls out his gun, and then she shoots first, but immediately afterwards, she, uh, Nick shoots. She does not hit Nick, but Nick hits her,
0: and she... If you've seen Star Wars, it's basically the Han and the cantina scene.
1: Right. But with, um, They with... haven't gone back and changed it uh, here.
0: No, not yet.
1: Not yet. Uh, actually, it isn't like the cantina scene. This is like the uh, edited version of the cantina scene. Oh,
0: yeah. She fires first.
1: Because she fires first. Han
0: fires. I don't... Han know.
1: originally fired first, but in the updated version... I don't know from Star Wars... Okay, um, so anyway, we're not going to go too deep on Star Wars on this episode, but any, but that's what happens. Adrian fired and uh, missed, but Nick fired immediately afterwards, hit her, and she is dead. She's dead. She's gone. Um, Nick tell, we go back to Nick uh, telling, talking to the uh, lieutenant that he was going for her shoulder, but he fucked up.
0: Yeah, and, and she no one buys
1: that. Well, it's kind of established, uh, more so in the other cut, that Nick is a terrible shot. Oh, yeah. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) so they actually probably buy that.
0: Oh, yeah, he's a classic fuck-up.
1: So, um, we go to a flashback further back. Yeah. To uh, the beginning of this whole Dixie Ray affair. Yeah. So we get the flashback of the day that
0: um, John Wesley's just in his office boning up his secretary. Yep. He's, um, she's just joined, I think, the women's auxiliary and she's going to ship so, out.
1: So her father yeah. is moving to a different military base and she's going with him. I believe she might be, you might be right about her being in the. How, how, how old is she?
0: Is it just um, the 40s and you just lived with your father forever until you got married?
1: Probably. I can't imagine in the 40s, like, women, there were a lot of single women moving out. I mean, I guess maybe. I I think that they should be able to, and I'm happy that they do today.
0: Let's get a sociologist on this to fact check us um, on this kind of thing. Uh,
1: Again, the uh, (laughs) report should not be used as a source of history information and uh, uh, the history of uh, social things in this country.
0: If you're uh, in college, don't cite us for a paper.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That would be a poor decision. Yeah. He's uh, laying on the couch with her. They're talking. He's uh, fingering her a bit when the phone rings and he goes to answer. Uh, You hear his side of a conversation. He's kind of trying to get this person off the phone, but he tells them that it's $20 a day plus expenses. Uh, and he rushes them off the phone. And then he goes back to his secretary. Um, they take so, off her bra. He's grinding behind her.
0: Uh, played by uh, Hillary Summers. I don't think she's credited in the film. Uh, I had to dig it up on IMDb, mm-hmm. I believe. But yeah, um, I don't know if she did anything else. Just toss her name out there in case you're like, I need more of her.
1: Do you remember what the secretary's name is?
0: I don't believe she's given a character
1: name. I. Th- Pretty sure I saw it on IMDb somewhere, you, but you uh,
0: you look it up. Uh, so they're sucking and fucking, and she's uh, dirty talking to the best of her ability, which includes lines like, "Get my note here." The first time you grabbed my ass, you said it felt just like angel food cake.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's uh. That's in my notes here. Yeah,
0: that's an important line.
1: Uh. <laughs> um. Was this Hillary Summers? Yes. That's Carol. And yeah, she's uncredited. Her name's Carol. Her name's Carol, just like uh, Jeremy's mom. God.
2: Uh,
1: anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> let's move on. She mentioned she, He's upset that she's leaving. She t- says that she's talked to other women about taking her spot. Um, she says, women like a good dick. And but Nick you mean, goes, you mean detective? detective. Yeah. Uh, she ends up pulling out his dick and giving him a blow jug, some very vigorous sucking and some dirty talk. Yeah. The uh, phone rings again and he gets up and answers. While he's talking on the phone, she's sliding down her panties and playing with herself. Mm-hmm. Uh one thing that I've noticed in this film is there's yeah. a lot of sex with panties on.
0: Yeah, that's uh there's a lot to take off in the forties. They got the garters and the hose it's just easier to slip that shit aside and just go at it, you know? Right. She does complain. She's like, you're going to rent my stockings. And there's some talk about World War II rationing and stuff. So I'm glad, you know, the uh, Mr. Flag, whoever wrote the script, uh, he really wanted you know it was World War II. Uh,
1: that's, that's good. Yeah. That's the sort of attention to detail that you that's don't always we, see in these films. That's
0: what we're looking for here. You know, it would have been very easy to not... Acknowledge that there was a war going on around the world but they did
1: all right so um so she's playing with herself and he's on the phone uh he's talking to mrs charles t barclay of the bel-air barclays
0: i thought it was charles barclay yeah several times i was like he wasn't a thing yet but it was just a very one of those amusing little things yeah um, if this
1: was made in the 90s they probably wouldn't have used that name because it definitely sounds a lot like charles Barkley.
0: yeah yeah that's all i gotta say on that
1: so um he he talks to her and um to mrs charles t barclay
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and then he gets off the phone with her and um carol says nikki i need it give it to me before i go so he acts like he's not going to do it, but she ends up talking her into it, or she talks him into it. Mm-hmm. So he mounts her on the couch. Uh, he's still wearing his wife beater, and he's holding her legs up. And um, one of her lines is, "I love a man who sweats when he screws. It's so manly." Um, Somehow
0: missed that one. That's beautiful.
1: Um, I know. I noted here that John Leslie tanned wearing a thong because you can see his tan lines here. <laughs> Um, he's doing her doggy style and she asks him to grab her ass and uh, he mentions that it's like angel cake as you mentioned before yeah. uh, and talks about her angel cake ass
0: There's a yeah that's a flat that's a, a callback to the when they first met which is already happening during the flashback <laughs> uh, and I like to think Cameron Mitchell is just pouring glass after glass as he hears this stuff.
1: <laughs> he's getting trashed while he's hearing yeah, it. Yeah, he's
0: like, oh yeah, I love and this. I like that you included the dirty talk,
1: <laughs> right. uh, John.
2: Yes, uh, in this version Poppy. of the film,
1: Nick is giving uh, the lieutenant <laughs> all of the uh, nasty details of the situation. So um, uh, Nick ends up uh, pulling out and coming on her ass. Yeah, that happens.
0: popular move.
1: And she says, I love it when you come on my back. It drives me crazy.
0: Rub it in like lotion, and then he does.
1: So, John, or sorry, uh, Nick decides that he's going to see the uh, person who gave him that last phone call, Mrs. Charles T. Barclay. Mm-hmm. So, um, we get to a scene of them walking on the beach, and we get the big exposition dump of what's going on yeah. here, which is far less thorough than it is in the other cut of the film, but. We learn here that Mrs. Charles T. Barclay is Dixie Ray, who is a former Hollywood star, as the title of the picture would let you know. Her husband, according to her, her husband took naked photos of her, and she had the negatives now, but prints had been made because, and I don't remember if this is all fully explained in this cut of the film, but it is in the other cut right? that... Charles owed a lot of money to Tony Lamar. Yeah, that's Tony pretty, Lamar. that's yeah.
0: explained uh, and pretty briefly.
1: So Charles owed money to Tony, and in order to pay off the debt, he gave Tony the negative of Dixie Ray naked. Mm-hmm. And Tony then came back to Dixie Ray yeah. asking for $50,000 to get that, that, uh, negative back so she paid Tony that fifty thousand dollars and got the negative back however Dixie had been had gotten a call from somebody who said that they had a print of the negative and was trying to blackmail more money out of her so um, one of the things that um, that Nick brings up is you know that the You know, she's trying to keep people from seeing this picture of her without panties. And she mentions that she She doesn't wear panties. Not now, not, or not ever, and not now.
0: They leave marks.
1: Yeah, they leave marks. Uh, So she ends up lifting up her dress and uh, shows Nick that she is completely uh, commando underwords. Which
0: wasn't the R cut, which surprised me. I think that's like the first, like, inkling you get that it's like pretty erotic. Right. Yeah.
1: So uh, Nick responds with, oh, my God. Yeah. And she explains that this is uh, these are previews of uh, coming attractions. Yeah. So uh, Nick, as we end this scene, uh, explains that this is the stuff that wet dreams are made of.
0: Yep. As he goes up the stairs to find old Charlie.
1: Yep. So he goes to the Spencer Arms, which is where Charlie's staying. Uh, Charles and uh, Dixie Ray are on the skids right now. So Charles has moved out and into the Spencer Arms. Yeah. So uh, as you said, Nick's going up the stairs and he walks into uh, Charles' room there and he finds a woman in the bed. Yeah. He notes that he thinks she might be dead, but he goes and checks her out and she starts stirring and he realizes she is not dead.
0: No, not at all, as you'll see. Uh,
1: Nick asked her if uh where Charlie is but she won't tell him. She's playing games with him, showing, "Oh, is he here?" and she pulls up she her panties. Up "Here, and... maybe
0: he's back here." Right? Uh very cryptic, very uh confusing performance. Unless you've seen a lot of people on drugs, uh, <laughs> and then you're like, "Oh, okay. She's just high."
1: So she uh <laughs> She's like, oh, is he here? Maybe he's back here. So she bends over in front of Nick and yeah. Nick slaps her ass really hard and she's Thanks. upset by this and uh, she asks him to uh, kiss kiss her and make her feel better. Yeah. So she ends up, he ends up kissing her ass and uh, then we begin the uh, sex scene here. He pulls her underwear to the side, and he fingers and uh, goes down on her for a bit. Um, They talk about uh, sucking cock, and she ends up blowing him, and then she climbs on top of them, and uh, they make out. She's still wearing her underwear pushed to the side, and uh, she starts uh, riding his penis. Uh, then he gets on top of her and goes at it. Uh, I made a note here that the bed is loud.
0: Yeah,
1: it's very loud in the scene.
0: Yeah, it's uh,
1: strapping. <laughs> uh, so he bangs her sideways for a little bit and tells her, "I'm gonna come all over you." So he <laughs> comes on her side and she looks it clean. So he explains that. He left uh, his card and let her know how important it was for him to hear back from old Charlie. Yeah. So, uh, we go back to Nick going into his office. He has the negative with him, and he asks if... uh,
0: Quotes Edgar Allan Poe.
1: Right. uh, He says, the best place to hide something's in plain sight.
0: It's a a very literary script, people.
1: Uh, So... He looks at the cups next to his water cooler and notes that nobody uses it, so he pulls a few cups out and puts the negative in one of the cups and then slides the cups back in. Um, then he gets a call from Dixie, and she wants him to come to her house and doesn't say why. Uh, when he w- Then we get to Dixie in her house, and she's getting a naked massage from Adrian, her secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, Adrian is topless, but wearing a towel. Yeah. And uh, Dixie's naked. After doing some rubbing, uh, Adrian starts to go down on Dixie. Yeah. Um, a lot of the shot here is kind of a... It's a shot across Dixie's stomach, uh, kind of as a landscape. And we see um, kind of... A, Adrian's face looking towards the camera. Well, Mm -hmm. not looking at the camera directly, but facing the camera.
0: Yeah, excellent cinematography uh, all around.
1: As she's doing all of this, Nick walks in and uh, doesn't interrupt. He just kind of watches. And uh, they finish uh, performing this act, and they kiss. And then Nick starts talking, and they realize that there that uh nick's there
0: yeah he's been watching him. he's a dirty bird
1: so he picks up a pair of panties off the floor and asks adrian if they're hers and she embarrassingly grabs them and makes a comment about him Mm -hmm. and walks off so dixie and nick are talking and uh nick tells her that a woman was staying at charlie's place place there's a lot of uh witty noir back and forth yeah. um, one of the key lines here is Nick makes a comment about having to uh, about how his secretary left him and uh, it was because uh, he couldn't uh, give her enough sex because he had to stop and clean his gun yeah um
0: Do you carry a gun
1: and Dix Nick Dixie asks if Nick carries a gun and Nick says only when he needs to so Dixie and Nick kiss and Dixie wants to see Nick's cough cock Cough, cock, um, she wants to see Nick's cock, and Nick asks him if she, he should keep, he should put his hat, hat off or on, and she says that he should put it on. Yeah. So he puts his hat on, and he goes to, he starts to pull his penis out mm-hmm. when uh, Leslie walks. Yeah. So Leslie is Dixie's daughter, yeah. but he's, she is also the woman who was in Charlie's room yeah. earlier that Nick had uh, yeah. a fling with. Played by uh, Kelly Nichols. Kelly Nichols right there. So, yep. Nick makes a comment that uh, <laughs> there's some back and forth and again, Nick brings up that there was a woman in Charlie's room and makes a comment that the woman was just okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, after Leslie leaves, they're back to flirting and Dixie removes her towel to show her breasts and then pulls out Nick's cock and starts to blow him. Yeah. There's a lot of bird chirping in the background, I noted. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Nick asks her, tell me that Dixie Ray loves to suck cock. So she repeats that back to him. Yeah. He mentions that he wants to fuck her, but she wants to just blow him for now. So yeah. he ends up coming on her tits and asks her to squeeze her tits together. And he says that he still wants to fuck her. Well, so Naturally. So Nick leaves, and on the way out, Leslie stops him. Um, She mentions to Nick uh, thanking him for not telling Dixie that Leslie was sleeping with Charlie, Mm -hmm. uh, who we uh, elaborate here is her stepfather.
0: Yeah, that's uh, the legal version of incest. (laughs) Yes. Popular popular in the 80s and popular now, really. It just never goes away. Uh,
1: So he tells her to make Charlie call him again. So we get a scene where Charlie's or not Charlie, uh Nick's secretary is talking on the phone, Carol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carol. She's telling some story to a friend, but she's also uh playing with herself. Mm-hmm. Uh meanwhile, Nick's returning to work and in the parking garage, a bunch of men peel in with their car and then bail out with their guns, demanding a negative demanding the negative that Nick hit earlier. We cut back and forth between that and her and the secretary. Uh, the secretary starts holding the receiver near her vagina for her vagina for some reason.
0: That's just uh, that's phone sex. I suppose so. That's how you do it. Um, you know, they can hear it on the other side. They hear the <laughs> and that's you know they they get off to that. She gets off and she doesn't have to make up a bunch of fucking crazy
1: ass stories. So she tells the person she's talking to, I think I hear Nikki, and Nick comes in with these sinister dudes. Yeah. So Nick's trying to send her home, but Carol uh, has learned that she is leaving tomorrow versus on Thursday, Yeah. so she wants to have some champagne with Nick. Uh, Nick is trying to get across that Carol needs to leave because these sinister dudes are trying to rough him up or whatever yeah,
0: she's a she's a ditzy blonde she doesn't get what's going on she's doing a whole like a she's got a whole routine
1: so this scene uh, there's a little bit of uh, tension in this scene because uh, Carol pulls out some of the paper cups from this uh, place next to the water cooler mm-hmm. which is where Nick earlier had hit the negative so uh, as she's Pulling out the cups and pulling, uh, pouring champagne into these little paper cups, uh, there's this uh, kind of tension as yeah. is she going to pull out the cup that has the negative and they're going to see the negative. Uh, that ends up not happening here. Yeah,
0: it's very, uh...
1: He ends up pushing her out the door kind of abruptly after she pour, pours the champagne. Uh, after he pushes her out, the, the uh, goons that showed up start strong-arming him a bit. Uh, rough them up. Yeah. Uh, eventually, they say wherever it is, don't make any prints. Uh, nobody gets fifty grand, but our boss. And then they kick the shit out of him, as I put in the notes. Yeah. Uh, they tell him not to get up, even if he can. So, we go straight from here to Nick going to a club.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I feel like what's happening here isn't explained very well. But what what is going on here is that. He believes that these goons, these are goons sent by Tony Lamar, who was yeah. the person who originally blackmailed uh, Dixie Ray with right. the negative. With the, yeah. So he shows up at this club, and we see a sign for Lisa Benson as the advertised act.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we'll get more to her later.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, he goes into the office of the uh, owner of the club, who is Tony, Nick suggests that Tony had his guys rough Nick up, but uh, Tony says that he knew nothing. But uh, Nick points out that one of the guys that roughed him up earlier uh, was one of Tony's goons acting as security in the club. Um, In the room is Sherry, who is a, a flirtatious girl who's flirting with Nick. Yeah. So Tony's trying to smooth things over with Nick and offers to send Sherry home with him. Yeah. Nick uh, Nick says, "Well, why don't you send her and send the coat check girl and send uh, the the uh, singer? Yeah, send and,
0: everybody. Send send everyone,
1: please." And uh, but he eventually leaves because Tony's not giving him any information. But on the way out, Nick sucker punches one of the goons from earlier uh, and goes home. So, we cut to Nick at home or later, and he gets a knock at the door. He grabs his gun and answers the door. And it's Sherry, the girl from Tony's office. Yes. And he's brought a friend with her who is Lisa, the nightclub act. Yes. Uh, Sherry makes a joke that she brought him more panties. Because uh, earlier in Tony's office, Nick made a comment about how he collected panties. Oh. So... Um, Lisa, the nightclub act that hadn't been introduced yet, seems a bit standoffish, mostly because Nick has his gun in his hand at first. So they exchange some pleasantries. Lisa asks for a drink, and Nick notes that there's some bourbon in the kitchen if she needs some. So they have some pleasantries, and then we immediately cut to Nick having sex with Sherry while Lisa's uh, sitting in a chair watching. Again, Sherry's wearing her panties, and they're just pushed to the side. Um, they're going at it for a while and Nick's kind of flirting with Lisa who's Mm -hmm. watching. And then eventually, uh, Lisa starts pleading for Nick to fuck her. Yeah. Nick is still fucking Sherry when Lisa comes over and starts touching on Sherry. And then, uh, she's blowing Nick and then Nick goes back to fucking Sherry. Then Lisa blows him more back and forth. There's some three-way kissing, and then Nick starts fucking Lisa doggy style while she's on top of Sherry. So there's this back and forth uh, where there's something about when Lisa comes hard, she sings or something like that. Uh So um, she comes hard and howls, I guess, really. Yeah, she's, she's a wolf. Goes back to fucking her more, and then he comes on her back. Somebody says, such rich cum. That's the note that I took Uh-oh. because it was such a weird line.
0: That's, uh, I've got the, the great value uh, root beer. It's got, like, it's got how you, like, would describe cum, like, as, like, its descriptors. It's, like, rich and foamy, <laughs> thick and delicious. Uh, you know. <laughs> I've been thinking about that a lot this week since we started this. Um,
1: about about root beer? Root
0: beer. Just about root beer, just about that description. I'm like, this is a, somehow I would describe a soda, I guess. I wouldn't try to use uh, those terms, but maybe I'm different from most people.
1: So uh, after all of this wraps up, Nick gets a call from Charles Barclay finally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Barclay said. Uh, uh, the Bel Air Barclays. Of uh, the Bel Air Barclays. Um, he explains to Nick and uh, claims that he's not trying to blackmail Dixie Ray. Um, you know, and this is after Tony, the club owner, said that he wasn't.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Barclay said he knows nothing about the picture and that, sh- that Dixie Ray is the one who keeps having these weird sex parties with their friends. Um, Barclay. Uh, makes a note about how Dixie's behavior uh, is the reason that he left her, and then he says that it's disgusting, which Nick immediately steps in and calls out Charles and his stepdaughter as being disgusting. (laughs) And uh, Charles gets really defensive, but uh, ultimately Nick has decided that he's going to meet Charles in his hotel room. So we cut to Nick approaching the hotel, and he decides to that he's going to visit Charles's room via the window so that nobody saw him. So this is the same in both cuts of the film, and in both cuts it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It makes a little bit more sense in the R-rated cut because he got harassed by the desk guy at the yeah, hotel.
0: Yeah, he's up there giving fake names and fucking slipping them. I don't some kind of whatever was a lot of money in 1943.
1: But regardless, uh, the the big issue that he has earlier in the R-rated cut is that Barclay's not there. Yeah. But Barclay is expecting him theoretically in this cut, in yeah. both cuts at yeah. this point in the film. So it wouldn't like he could just go to the desk and be like, hey, I want to see Charles, and then they let him go, and or they call Charles and make sure it was okay. Yeah. And this way,
0: it just go. it sets up. It's expedient to the plot to have him go through the window. So anyway, he goes through the
1: window, (laughs) and he goes into the room, and it's dark in the room. And uh, Nick realizes that uh, Charles is dead in the bed. Yeah. Uh, He looks and sees that there's two bullet holes in the wall and three in his chest and two in his face.
0: Those are the ones that mattered, as he remarks.
1: Yep. He Mm -hmm. notes that it's somebody with an automatic weapon. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick is struck by somebody from behind and then goes unconscious. I
0: missed him getting struck the first time I saw it, and I thought he had just come so much in, like, the past 24 hours, he (laughs) had just kind of been, like, overcome by, like, seeing a body and all his vital essence is gone.
1: He had the vapors.
0: (laughs) Basically, yeah.
1: (laughs) So, um, so he goes unconscious because he gets hit from behind, not because of all of his orgasms, although... Let's be honest, if I had came that much that day,
0: I oh, probably
1: yeah. would not have a whole lot of energy left.
0: There's a real loose definition of time in the X cut. They do it a little bit better explaining how much time has passed in the other one. I'd, yeah. But it, it all seems very hazy, which is one of the things I like about porn plots, I think, is that
1: it's kind of surreal.
0: Yeah, it's got like a very elastic sense of time.
1: It's very uh Fulchy in a way.
0: Yeah, you're just the plot becomes irrelevant.
1: So uh, Even as you watch it. So Nick, after being knocked unconscious, comes uh to just in time to hear people at the hotel door trying to get in. Uh And then he realizes, oh, I'm in here with a dead body. I better get out of here before I get discovered with this dead body. Yes. So he leaves. Mm-hmm. So he runs the situation through his mind, and he notes that in order for all of this to happen... Uh, He kind of comes to the realization at that point that he's been set up. So for all of this to happen, they had to find out if he had a gun. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to the conversation he had with Dixie Ray earlier when he told Dixie that he has a gun, but he carries it only when he needs one. So then they had to convince him that he needed one, which they did with the goons who visited his office and roughed him up. Yeah, beat him. Then they had to switch his gun. So... Uh, something I didn't note originally in my uh-huh. notes because it didn't seem like a big deal was when uh, he visited Tony Lamar at the club. His mm. goons took his gun yeah, they off. Pat him, him
0: down, check him for steel.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the uh, the hypothesis, which spoiler alert, turns out to be true, yeah. is that uh, when they when the goons took his, took his gun, they replaced it with a different gun. And then Nick's gun was presumably used to kill Charlie. Yeah, the murder weapon. Uh, This isn't very well fleshed out in this cut. uh, It's called murder, baby! Yeah. Uh,
2: Yeah.
1: It is given a very specific uh, explanation. We'll get to that here in a minute. Mm -hmm. So, um, we get get a scene of Dixie's secretary uh, going down on a girl... And they're making out, and then we see a jukebox in the room start playing, and we don't see who started it. But then we see the Dixie uh, Dixie Ray joins them on the bed. Presumably, yeah. she started the jukebox. So yeah. Nick shows up at Dixie Ray's There's place. That,
0: there is that man there, it's just kind of like a mystery man, who just got kind of his arms crossed.
1: I think, yeah, was he second. was he in the hardcore cut?
0: He. I, I believe he was like when they start the jukebox because I rewatched a little bit of it last okay. night just to make sure. Yeah, because he's a phantom presence in the film.
1: Right in the uh, in the R-rated cut, he's there, and it makes a little more sense because yeah. the scene's completely different. Right, um, but anyway, so there's a guy there, but I think that the um, the uh, intention here, which seems more obvious in the r-rated cut is this is one of dixie's sex parties that they talked about earlier um nick shows up and he's got tony with him uh held at gunpoint Mm -hmm. so tony knocks at the door of the room that dixie raised in and dixie answers the door and dixie realizes that nick's there with tony at gunpoint Mm -hmm. so nick explains that he knows everything um dixie's here with an elaborate robe on but no panties so you can see her bush the whole time right um dixie had put a bunch of money in her husband's name uh this is really the first explanation of this whereas in the r-rated cut it's explained earlier (laughs) um so she had put a bunch of money in her husband's name but rather than divorce him and try to get the money she decided she'd kill him to get access uh, she had money problems cuz she hadn't been in a film in a while so she was going to use uh her step or sorry she was going to use the fact that Charlie was sleeping with her daughter yeah. kind of as an excuse right um that she did it you know to protect her daughter so to speak
0: yeah very money dearest joint Joan Crawford, kind of relationship between the mom and the daughter.
1: <laughs> so Dixie offers to cut Nick in, trying to get him to, uh, you know, let them get away with it. Um, she tells him that, that, uh, Nick will have her whenever he wants her. Mm. And Nick is unhappy with this and he said, It's called murder, baby.
0: He said it. Any way you dress it up, it's called murder, baby.
1: And then, uh, Nick said, oh, and you don't have to just worry about me. It's not just me. And Leslie walks in. So Leslie walks in and slaps Dixie. Leslie's pissed off that Dixie had Charles killed because she, in her mind, loves Charles. So Dixie's upset with Leslie and says that, you know, Charles couldn't really love her anyway. He couldn't even get it up. And then Leslie tells Dixie that, well, she could get it up with me. And Dixie is outraged with this. So Dixie is now pissed off at Nick because she. Because uh, Nick told Leslie about uh, the situation in the plot. And now Leslie and Dixie's uh, relationship has been damaged. Beyond repair. Damaged beyond repair. So Nick leaves at this point while Dixie's hollering, and we get back to. Uh, Nick going back to his office, and that's when uh, Dixie's secretary visited. And we, you know, as far as the time loop here, it we're, closes with what yeah, happened at the beginning of the film. We're
0: back where we began. Where, uh, Let's go back to Cameron Mitchell as the lieutenant.
1: So, and that th- this is the point where Adrian had visited Nick's office and Nick killed her at the beginning of the yes. film. So, we go back to the lieutenant talking to Nick about it, and the lieutenant confirms, well... With the situation being what it is, she'll probably get off for it. Um, Nick is upset about this, obviously. You know, he thinks that Charles should get some sort of justice out of this. And Nick talks about how back in the day, if somebody got away with a crime, the neighborhood would go after them to ensure justice. Um, we cut to Dixie banging some guy after, kind of in these like quick flashes during yeah. the conversation, uh, while he, Nick's still talking to the lieutenant Um, and then we see uh, you know this guy he's having sex with Dixie and he pulls out and comes on her pubic hair Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, while Nick and then Nick and lieutenant finish their conversation the lieutenant tells him relax Nick you ain't going to change the world Kramer, the other cop, calls the station and is like, hey, where have you guys been? Because we spent an hour and a half listening to Nick tell the story and the people that were supposed to come pick up his body never did. Yeah. So, the lieutenant criticizes Nick for believing what he sees in the movies as far as the way that justice gets served and yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lieutenant tells him, you're going to wait here for the meat wagon while they pick up Blondie. Me? I'm going to arrest a movie star. And he walks out and then Kramer looks back at uh, Nick and delivers the final line of the film see you around Nick see you at the movies yeah and we close there
0: They also do a little thing about a little exchange about Guadalcanal I guess kind of, yeah that, there's a exchange i didn't i was going to look that up and like Impress people with the historical significance of it, but I didn't.
1: Yeah, there was a note at the beginning of the film uh, when Nick was complaining about how long it took the cops to get there yeah. that uh, there was something on the radio about Guadalcanal. Yeah. So this is during World War II, so I think that it has to do with uh, it's a, a famous thing that yeah. if I had paid closer attention in class, I'd know what they were talking about specifically. But I didn't, so I don't. Yeah. Um, but anyway, well, yeah. There was some back and forth about Guadalcanal. So that was Dixie Ray Hollywood star, which is really a a great pornographic film. Mm -hmm. However, uh, that is not the only version of these events. Uh, In fact, it's called Murder Baby Mm -hmm. is the R-rated version of the film. And we've talked a little bit about it along the way, but I want to go through and kind of give the differences here. The biggest thing about uh, It's Called Murder Baby is that it... Is a lot more uh, cohesive and uh, sensible. Everything makes a lot more sense because there's a lot more narrative here. There's mm-hmm. a lot more, a uh, lot more exposition and uh, stuff, yeah. and a lot of the plot points that get kind of just uh, skipped past uh, get a lot of uh, explanation here. And the movie as a whole is a lot more cohesive.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a coherent narrative. that doesn't stop to show
1: us its dick every 15 minutes (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll be right back with it's called murder baby you bastard
2: you're not gonna tell anybody anything now give me the negative take it easy baby it's not that easy understand just give me the gun hey you got look okay okay you want the negative you got it I got it right here. I don't want any more anyway. Just watch where you're pointing that gun, okay? Just just take it easy with the gun. Okay, I got it right here. You can have it. Steady. Now what? You're gonna ruin everything, you son of a bitch. You're really gonna ruin everything I have.
1: All right, so in addition to the hardcore Dixie Ray Hollywood star, this film was also released in an R-rated cut called It's Called Murder Baby. (laughs) So we're not going to go through it with the exact same level of detail that we went through Dixie Ray. However, there are a lot of differences in this film, and we're going to go through all of those. So um, the opening's pretty much the same, um, but we get the title card. It's called Murder (laughs) Baby, and there's a lot of different names here. Um, The direct... Tutorial uh, credit rather than being Anthony Spinelli is uh, Sam Weston mm-hmm. so um, Things pretty much start up uh, the same but as we get into the flashback of Adrian uh, in uh, Nick's office when he ends up killing her and uh, we get a shot of Nick driving into the parking garage and walking into the office, whereas uh, in the original version, we just kind of see Nick walking through the door. Yeah. Um, there's more dialogue and explanation of this scene. It's more specifically laid out that Adrian's a lesbian, and uh, she talks a bit more about her intentions. She explicitly offers to blow him in this, but, he, uh, but she doesn't.
0: No. They can't show that in an R-rated movie in the 1980s, and probably not today.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I thought that maybe it would happen off-camera or something, the, but no, the, it
0: just doesn't happen at all. It's gone. It's been excised.
1: So, as with uh, as with before, Nick shoots her and makes mention that he was aiming for her shoulder. Mm-hmm. In this version, the cops mentioned that there was a bartender that Nick shot in the past like this and nick explains that the bartender had a shotgun that he was going for and you know explained what was going on there Mm -hmm. uh they make a note that they're happy that nick bounced off the force so one of the plot points here that's not in the original film was that nick is an ex-cop and because of x y and z y he was on the force he was now a uh private detective they don't say specifically why but it's mentioned a couple times that it was probably not of his choice yeah um so one of the uh, the uh kramer the other cop mentions the bullet hole behind nick which corroborates his story that she shot at him it's
0: just a visual element in the other one they don't like ever really go into
1: right He's like oh
0: hey look it's like okay yeah, i believe you
1: um, yeah, there's a lot more uh, specifically in this film about why the cops aren't locking Nick up immediately. Right. Um, so we get to the flashback of uh, Nick and his secretary fooling around when uh, he gets the call from Dixie Ray. In this version, it starts with Nick dismounting his secretary on his couch in the couch in his office and mm-hmm. answering the phone. Uh, that first phone call that he got in the other version um where he tells him it's twenty dollars a day plus expenses uh they talk about her leaving a bit as in the other version uh and she's going to give him a blow job here but again we don't see anything we kind of see her dipping her head into his lap when the phone rings again and he gets up and this is that call from dixie ray so the scene following this is uh significantly different in this version. Uh, Rather than it cutting to him showing up at her house and then just him walking down a beach with her, we get this whole long scene where he shows up and Dixie Ray is playing tennis Mm -hmm. and um, they end up going into her house. Um, Nick notes, sorry for staring before. I know a few bit players, but I've never met a real movie star before. And uh, Dixie Ray says, not even one on the downhill side of her career. Dixie pours them both scotch. Uh, She asks Nick uh, how he became a detective, and he explained that he was a cop and he had worked his way up to being a homicide detective. She asks why he quit, and he says it was a mutual decision and then immediately changes the (laughs) the subject, again, kind of hinting at that uh, his career as a cop didn't end uh, harmoniously. Right. Uh, she mentions not having made a film since two years before the war. Nick says, "I miss seeing you," and Dixie says, "You'll see a lot of me in a minute." She explains the blackmail plot a little bit more thoroughly. Yeah, she says that her first husband died twelve years ago. That would be uh, Leslie's father, uh-huh. most likely. Yeah, sure. She kisses him once, very softly. Uh, she talks about the parties that her and her friends had that. Uh, this picture theoretically had been taken at. Mm. Nick uh, mentions about those parties uh, that I want to come to one. And then Dixie says, oh, you'll come any minute, maybe. <laughs> Adrian walks in as Dixie's about to kiss Nick again. Dixie has Adrian make out a check for Nick and give Nick some gas ration coupons. So we get more into more the whole the, war situation yeah, here. Yeah, the
0: actual introduction for Adrian as a character. I don't think the... Is her name mentioned? I feel like it wasn't at all in the X cut.
1: Uh, I think just at the very beginning, beginning when Nick talks about who it was that he gotta, had shot.
0: you got to pay a lot of attention when you're watching porn. Or you're going to be lost.
1: Uh, yes. <laughs> so... Um,
0: Adrian comes in and gives him those old gas, ra- gas rash. Right. Gas rash. Gas rash.
1: So Dixie says she wants Nick to keep the negative, uh, but it's at her beach house. So then we cut to the beach scene that we had before with Mm -hmm. Dixie Ray. Um, There's less talk because a lot of this exposition had happened during the scene in her house. But uh, she talks about how her husband had given the negatives to Tony Lamar. and They give a lot more explanation on what's going on here. Mm Uh, I did make a note that, like in the other cut, she did pull up her dress. Did. And I was we surprised. did see her bush, which I was not expecting to see in this version. I
0: was thinking that that whole scene in the in the, in the like, I guess, the, the living room area. I thought that was just going to replace the whole beach thing. So yeah. I was pretty surprised when it came up. Uh, that's yeah. one of the first like major noticeable differences, besides the lack of sex,
1: right? <coughs> Whew. So uh, after li- after Nick leaves, um, there, uh, Nick says that he cashed the check and went to pay people back in the morning. Mm-hmm. So he goes to a door labeled the Armenian messenger, a Hagopian, yeah, uh, Hagopian editor.
0: Yeah.
1: So Nick brought him lunch and said that he owed him this, and um, Hagopian says, you owe me nothing. What I do for you, I do for love. Nick's asking for a favor. He wants uh, Hagopian to keep the negative for him. Hegopian yeah. uh, talks about wanting Nick to move into his office and be his partner, and Nick declines. Then he talks to him about uh, getting into the fashion industry and working on single-breasted suits because... Uh,
0: the double-breasteds take too much material, and there's a right. war on. Once again, people, we're having a world war.
1: Uh, one of the things, um, okay, so, uh, mm-hmm. Nick doesn't really answer his, uh, suggestion for them to go in as partners for this clothing venture. Uh, he just redirects him to get glasses for the wine that Nick brought. Uh, and so his Arminian friend puts the negative in the file cabinet. Uh, Nick shows up next in the hotel lobby of Barclays Hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Spencer Arms. Yeah, and uh, to ask if Charles was registered. So, in the original cut, we go straight from him on the beach to him visiting Charles in his hotel room. They inserted
0: have, uh, two whole scenes, right? Of uh, plot development, because there's no, there's no ball licking, <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: So, um, Nick shows up at the hotel lobby and asks the clerk if Charles Barclay was registered there. The clerk says that he thinks that Barclay has stepped out, uh, but tells Nick that he'd be happy to check, and then he asks Mr., and Nick says that his name is Marlow. Yeah. Um, So, again, that's a a noir reference right there. Yeah, a little uh, classic for you. So, the clerk uh, calls and then confirms that Barclay's out. Nick says that he wants to go up and wait for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, The clerk says that that's not possible. But Nick's able to convince him with some cash. Yeah. Uh, afterwards, Nick tells the clerk that he's Barclay's twin brother, which mm. he agrees to because of his uh, cash bribe.
0: Yeah, he's been paid off. He'll agree to pretty much anything. He already agreed to be in this movie. so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but only the R-rated version.
0: Yeah, he wasn't ardent anti-smut advocate, perhaps. 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 Once again, we speculate a lot.
1: Maybe he thought he'd be in both cuts and then later realized that uh, he got cut from the sexy version.
0: That sucks, because it's one of the better scenes
1: uh, plot. So, as in the other version, Nick uh, goes up to Barclay's room. Uh, In this version, uh, before he notes anything about the woman in the bed, he uh, notices that there's a business card for High Desert Photos. Uh, on the stand there. It says, High Desert Photos, everything for the photographer. So, this is our clue here. Yeah. Um, as you.
0: Yeah, it's called a clue, baby.
1: <laughs> so, um, he also leaves his card there. Um, then he notices the woman in the bed there, Leslie. Uh-huh. Um, and the scene plays out mostly like it did in the other version, but ends before they have sex. Right. So, Nick. Yeah, it's implied there. So Nick walks out through the lobby and drops off the key that he had gotten to Barlow's room. So we have a a clue here that wasn't in the other version, and he's going to chase it down for high desert photos. Um, He notes that this isn't the kind of thing he gets to check out anymore because of the gas rationing and such. Yeah. So he, as he's driving there, there's a scene of him driving, and we hear on the radio. Um, one of the differences of this version versus the hardcore version is that there's a lot of uh, background radio stuff in scenes where we get to hear more about the war and all of that.
0: Really hammer it home.
1: We gotta, yeah, we gotta know all about the war and what's going on, what our boys are doing.
0: Yeah, we gotta support the troops. If not, then win.
1: But, you know, when we're talking about uh, uh, what ends up being a low-budget film here, it's a good way to uh, add some immersion here yeah. and hammer home what we're dealing with. Right. So he is driving there, and he shows up at High Desert Photo, uh, thinking that that's where the prints that uh, Dixie's being blackmailed with mm-hmm. might have been made since he suspects Barclay's behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, He looks in the window, but nobody's there. Uh, There's a weird guy standing next to him there, uh, and he tells him that the place went out of business a year ago. So that clue led us to nothing, really.
0: Yes. You'll find that a lot of the plot enhancements don't really add up to a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of fleshing out of the plot that was there, but the new plot points don't necessarily go a lot of places. No. A good example of this uh, comes here, yeah. because Nick arrives back at his office, and there's a note on the door from his Arminian friend. Um,
0: Mr. Hagopian.
1: Mr. Hagopian, explaining that he didn't want to keep this filth in his office, yeah. and it's got the negative with it. So we uh, see him hide the negative in the cups near the water cooler, just as in the other version. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get Dixie calling him back to her house like she did in the other version, and we get the scene of Adrian massaging Dixie. Uh, there's no cunnilingus in this version of the scene, just the massage, but there's a little bit more kissing in this version.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, tastefully erotic.
1: And they end up stopping pretty much immediately after Nick walks in, rather than, uh, in the other version where Nick sits and watches for a while before they notice him.
0: sits and skeeves on him. It was the forties. It was okay.
1: So Nick's talking to Dixie here. Uh, one of the lines that I think was new here mm-hmm. was he comments about liking her outfit, which she's just got a towel over her back and she's laying on the table topless. That
2: sounds yeah.
1: Um, she tells him, "Look around back. That's my good side."
0: Mm-hmm. Um, oh, always Hollywood. <laughs>
1: Nick explains that a girl was there just like in the other version and there's a lot of back and forth with some kissing. Um, and like in the other version, he goes to pull out his dong and Leslie walks in before. Um, after Leslie leaves, instead of being blown like he was in the other version, mm-hmm. uh, he notes that we should continue this later. Maybe at the Coliseum where there are less people.
0: Huh. Because it's It's a high traffic area, you know, it's all, it's a joke.
1: (laughs) Right. It's a joke. Uh, So he leaves um, on his way out. He walks in on Adrian and a uh, dark haired maid. I believe it is a maid Uh uh, making out in the closet. He sees them and just walks away.
0: Um, That's Hollywood.
1: So he's heading to his office and we get the scene where he gets uh, roughed up by the goons uh, on his way to the office, we don't get the cutaways of the secretary masturbating, but she is on the phone.
0: Yeah, she's telling some kind of story. It doesn't have the same effect when she doesn't take the receiver and just kind of jam it into herself. Uh,
1: <laughs> that wasn't
0: in the movie, but, you know. It's it, a,
1: it. She puts it's, it near her vagina. It's, ta- more
0: than, it's tasteful. Um, uh, it's a Artistic license. I took artistic license with it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay.
1: <laughs> so uh, this scene basically continues as normal with the goons, and he gets beat up and all that. So he uh, goes to uh, Tony Lamar's club, mm-hmm. just like in the other version. However, um, there is one added detail here where right before walking into Tony's office, he punches a goon in the throat. <laughs> and uh, that, that made me chuckle. <laughs>
0: yeah, it got me. I forgot about that. That's funny.
1: Um, this scene is basically the same as in the other cut, but as soon as Nick leaves, Tony yells at his goons, "Why did you let them? Wh- or why did you let him see you? Why didn't you wear a mask or something?" So that kind of sets up at that point <laughs> that suspicion around Tony a little bit more uh, explicitly. Yeah,
0: more direct.
1: Um, so. In this, in the other version, we get a scene where Sherry and Lisa visit Nick's house, but we don't get that right here in this version of the film. We go straight to Nick at home getting a call from Charles, and um, we get the scene of him going to Barclays Hotel, and it all plays out the same way as it did in the other cut. Uh, After he uh, leaves the uh, Charles Hotel room and uh, avoids getting caught with the body. He returns to his apartment, and he's looking at himself in the mirror in pain, asking why he got into this business, and he gets a knock at the door. And at this point, this is when we get Sherry and Lisa showing up. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit more dialogue in this version of it, and we see them uh, entering the bedroom and chatting a bit, rather than cutting from him, like in his living room, straight to him banging Sherry, like yeah. in the other version. Um. In this version, uh, Lisa strips down to her panties, and Sherry asks, "Do you want me to help them help you take them off her?" And he goes, "What the hell!" And then they face to black, uh, <laughs> you know, implying a sex scene there that's not shown. No. Um, Nick's laying in bed with the girls, uh, and there's a knock at the door. Nick grabs his gun to answer, and it's the lieutenant. Now, this is a scene that I think, like, really, really helps flesh out this movie. Yeah. It got completely missed over in the other version. Right. Uh, the lieutenant tells Nick that he's in big trouble and has Kramer check um, to see if uh, Nick has company. We see the girls uh, sneak out the window before this. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, the lieutenant and uh, Kramer are talking to them. They tell them that he's getting taken downtown for murder... They explained that they got a call about the body in Barclay's room and found Barclay dead. Yeah. Uh, Nick explains that Charles's wife hired him, and that's why he was in there. Lieutenant explains that they found Nick's card and a gun in the hotel room. Um, he's, they also explained that they got the lab report back confirming that it was his gun, and Nick explains that they switched them.
0: Yeah, that was an element that wasn't, yeah, like you said, present
1: previously. Uh, the other cop, uh, Kramer, says, We never really thought you did it, Nick. The shots were too close together, and you can't shoot that good. Oh. So, again, we go back oh, to yeah. the fact that Nick is a terrible shot, yeah. which was something that the other version made a quick passing reference to, but this one it's more of an important plot point. Um, Nick gives the lieutenant a rundown of the situation up to this point. The lieutenant still has suspicion, but the lieutenant wants to give Nick a chance to prove that Lamar did it. And it seems like the lieutenant and Kramer hate Lamar, and they are more or less just want him to pin it on him, regardless of whether or not maybe he even did it. (laughs) Um, Good
0: good police work.
1: Good police work.
0: Classic American police work.
1: The lieutenant tells him, make it happen, Nick, or it's your ass. Um, So... This is where we cut to the scene from the other cut where Nick's sitting in his car and running through the facts and figuring out what happened, where he's like, they had to figure out that I had a gun. They had to give me a reason to carry the gun and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes a lot more logical sense placed here because he's been directly told that his gun was used in the murder in this version, whereas in the other one, he suspects it, Yeah, but it's not really elaborately told to him.
0: He's a lot like us. He just speculates through things instead of actually having facts.
1: Right. That's uh, that's what we have uh, in common with Nick Papadopoulos. Yeah.
0: Man. Are we Greek? Uh, I
1: don't. I'm, I don't think I am.
0: I don't think I am either. You can't see me, but I'm really white.
1: Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, so uh, Nick then visits Leslie at the hotel which was something that didn't happen in the other cut and pours her a drink then we get nick reiterating to us uh that leslie told him that for tax purposes dixie ray was putting money into stocks in charles's name but charles didn't know about it and he trusted her and signed whatever dixie told him to sign basically So Nick thinks that Tony did this and pinned it on Nick, uh, which makes sense because of the chance for them to switch his gun and all of that. Yeah. So at this point, like in the other cut, uh, we get to somebody pushing a button on a jukebox, but this time it's a hairy man's arm, and it's a guy who's standing by uh, a, a jukebox. Well, because he pushed it, of yeah, course he he pushed he's standing it, by yeah. it. But uh, we see that Dixie and another guy are making out in a bed. And then we can see a mirror that's showing the opposite room from Mm -hmm. where they're at. And we see um, another guy watching as Adrian is massaging a dark-haired girl. I believe Mm -hmm. it's the maid that she was making out with earlier. So from here, most of this plays out like in the other cut. Uh, Nick shows up pointing a gun at Tony, and Tony knocks on the door. Dixie puts on the robe and meets Tony at the door. Um, there's a little bit more talking here, trying to convince Nick, uh, to keep his mouth shut. She talks about how, um, you know, the way that she wants to do it, which is to he- cut Nick in on it is a lot more fun. Uh, and she tries to seduce him saying, this isn't the Coliseum, but it'll do again, referencing the earlier, uh, Coliseum comment. Yeah. Uh, Nick turns this down and uh, Leslie comes in and there's all of that confrontation. And as with the other version, Nick walks out as Dixie's screaming at him. So we get back to the cops at the end where they're talking about uh, the story uh, that Nick just told them. There's a little bit more chatter here. Uh, One of the things that I noted here was Nick asked the lieutenant because they're kind of just waiting around at this point. Want to go in thirds on a clothing store? Referencing the fact that earlier uh, Nick's... uh, Mr....
0: Mr. Hagopian.
1: Mr. Hagopian. Yeah. I keep forgetting his name. Mr. Hagopian had offered uh, Nick to be partners on that clothing store with the single-breasted suits earlier. Uh, The lieutenant responds, no, and you neither, uh, as far as uh, that being a good idea. Yeah. So the thing ends uh, the way that it did in the other version, with Kramer saying... See you around, Nick. See you at the movies. See you at the movies. fade out. Yep. So, this uh, R-rated cut is uh, very similar to the first one, but there are, like, a significant amount of differences. Uh, yeah. These days, there are occasionally um, pornographic, hardcore movies that mm-hmm. do well, and they'll make an R-rated version of them. Yep. But usually, it's just kind of cut out the sex scenes or zoom in so you don't see the penetration or whatever and um but this one is a very different retooled movie and narratively speaking works a lot better but um you know it's just a, a different version of the same story
0: right it's um it's a coherent version of the same story and not one that devolves into uh sex constantly which uh That's what we're here for, but also, I need to know what's going on. I'm a simple man. (laughs) Uh.
1: All right, so uh, I think from here we can get into uh, our review now that we've done our deep dive into this film in both versions, so uh, I'm going to tag out and tag in our good friend Jeremy here to uh, start by giving his words on Dixie Ray Hollywood star, and it's called Murder, Baby.
2: Well, there isn't a jury in this
1: country that'll convict me. who convict a mother?
2: who convict Dixie Ray, of trying to protect an innocent daughter from a degenerate stepfather? <laughs> That's not that simple, Dixie. When you started this, it was for the money, and I know all about it. So it's not just a passion kill. What does that mean? It means, no matter how you doll it up, it's called murder, baby.
1: Dixie Ray Hollywood Star was released by Vinegar Syndrome on DVD back in March of 2015. Uh, That release includes both the hardcore version and the R-rated cut. It's called Murder Baby. Um, They also reissued that in January of 2018 as part of their Five Films Five Years series where uh, it was uh, released in its hardcore version uh, in HD on Blu-ray. Uh, along with four other films. Uh, That version, unfortunately, is out of print now, so the only way to get this now is the DVD version, including both cuts.
0: So, uh, yeah, this film, these films, there's two films, uh, pretty good, pretty great. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's the first time I'm seeing these ones Um, had you watched them before we decided to do this
1: I had seen Dixie Ray Hollywood star but you hadn't uh, I hadn't seen it's called Murder Baby
0: no I think there's a I think there's one very good film to be made out of both of them I think a might be overkill but I think like a two hour cut would really uh, you could bring in the stuff that flushes stuff out Mm -hmm. you could keep the sex in if you're doing that right um and it would just be murder baby yeah it
1: would yeah
0: be. uh but that said uh like i said like i, I kind of commented earlier i do kind of like the elastic sense of time that you get in the original cut mm-hmm. where events are just kind of happening right. without really like any clear frame of reference or time like uh when he first meets Dixie Ray, it's like a three minute sequence that goes straight into another sex scene. Right. Versus uh, them fleshing it out a bit more and kind of going into who she is and who everyone is. They uh, never get around to addressing who the mystery hunk is. The one that's just kind of plowing her at the end of the, the X-rated cut. Right. Uh, I think it's just the silent guy that's just with her all the time. Right.
1: Could be. You mean like the the? He's like
0: the chauffeur, and he's like the tennis instructor. Is it just? Gotcha. Yeah, or she Could maybe. Be. She just has a ton of guys, you know. Yeah. So, well, I
1: think the. I think the more important thing was. I think that was just supposed to be example, an example of these the kind of sex parties yeah. that they talk about. As a beginning.
0: sometimes, as I talk, I figure things out, and that was the conclusion I was coming to. Uh, but you know. Uh, a lot of good performances for the most part from everybody. Uh, John Leslie's good is just kind of your little hard-headed noir detective guy who just keeps going, even though he's in deep. Uh, and I like that kind of, I really like that style, um, the twist where they kind of figure stuff out. Um, Like, towards the end, where he's just sitting in his car doing the, like, oh, they said this and they said that. Right. Uh, And they get you all caught up. It's like when you watch, uh, like, The Wicker Man, and you're like, oh, shit, these people had trapped him the whole time. He's just their pawn. Right. Uh, The victim of fate sort of situation. Which I think is good. I think it's very uh, noir. And all the characters are pretty uh, morally ambiguous. You don't really have, like, a clear-cut hero here. Even uh Nick, at least in like the X rated cut, seems to be more focused on getting his dick sucked than actually, you know, solving any kind of crime. <laughs> right. Like it takes him a very long time to figure out that he's being set up for someone whose job is to, you know, uh, solve crimes. Right. He's a lot more like uh he's a lot more like the dude in the big Lebowski where he's just kind of like
1: Bebopping along? Yeah, he's just
0: bebopping along and there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of angles or a lot of you know, different things going on and he he's never really figured it out. Right. Um until someone else explains it to him pretty much. <laughs> which I think is kinda kinda how it happens in the R cut. They're like, We found your gun and he's like, Oh yeah.
1: You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that in the hardcore cut, he does kind of put it together himself. But I think that that's more out of lack of exposition than anything right. else.
0: I'm not really sure why they chose to cut like certain things out for the X cut, except I guess for time constraints. Right. Um, which it ends up being longer than the R cut anyway, so I don't see what an extra 15 minutes of plot would have really hurt.
1: I think that I think it might just be that the uh, raincoat crowd isn't really that interested in it, or at least that's probably what the editor thought,
0: right at the time. But that said, it still looks really good. It's not like a film that was like rushed along, really. Like uh, like they've got car, like they got forties cars. They've got you know fashions as far as they can. Uh, get them uh, they got like the nice like long shadows and everything and a lot of impressive like long shots like at the beginning when they're you're witnessing the argument through the glass right Uh, stuff like that just kind of makes it stand out a little bit among pornography It's, uh, it's a little more artistic than you'd expect
1: yeah i'd agree with that uh this is one of the better examples of what can be done with the porn format, I guess. Uh, whether you're, whether you're looking at the hardcore cut or the R-rated cut, there's a lot of uh, effort that went into this, and you can really see, you know, all of that play out. They are working on a period accurate-ish cars and attire. Yeah. Um. You know, in the R-rated cut, a lot more of that, like, background radio noise and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Uh, They brought in a real actor with Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, you know, thought put into the specific shots that we're using. And even when you talk about the porn actors in it, you know, John Leslie is very good at acting, as is uh, Lisa DeLeo, and really everybody involved in the film. Uh, It's just really well made. Um, we're going to see as we go down this journey on the rainco report together yeah. that uh, not not all films have this amount of uh, uh, attention put into them
0: it's a real it's a gem
1: and this is uh, this a is film. a definite gem of a film yes it's a gem. So if you look at the two films um, yeah. I guess uh, what which is there one version that you like more than the other um, like All things considered. I think I
0: actually like the R cut a little bit better than the, the hardcore film. Like it does suffer from, you know, not having some of the performers, uh, sex scenes. Like you don't really get anything out of, uh, Juliet Anderson in that, who I thought was one of the better performers in the X rated cut. Right. Um, at the beginning, since she's with both of the principal, uh, stars. Um, but I think as far as not making you guess about everything, I'd guess that, you know, I'd go with the R-rated cut just for getting the plot together a little bit more. Right. Uh,
1: Overall, for me, I think that I basically like both cuts the same amount, and it yeah. really is for those reasons. the uh, The R-rated cut is definitely the better cut when it comes to the narrative itself, mm-hmm. and setting everything up and uh, making everything coherent and not making you fill in a bunch of gaps. Like, there's there's definitely some benefit to a film that makes you think. But in this case, it's just lack of information that's making you fill in the blanks. It's not really that the film's being super clever about things. Right. Um, but I also really appreciate, um, in the X-rated cut, the... Mm-hmm. You know, just the exploitative nature of the sex and everything else. And and even though it is lacking on some of those plot points that tie things together, it's not like it's incoherent.
0: No, it's not incoherent at all. I mean, it is. It's incoherent, but it's not... You're not left puzzled. You're like, oh, okay. I get it towards the end, but... The
1: the blanks that you fill in are all things that, I mean, you can kind of fill in on your own. It's just... A well made film isn't going to make you fill in all of those blanks. Yeah. You, know, you, can, you can leave some mystery and not necessarily explain everything like very, very uh, specifically. But at the same time, I think this film suffers a little bit from some of the lack of exposition in the X rated cut.
0: Yeah, I think a uh, clever way to uh, maybe have handled that, that they probably were just thinking more of commercial considerations. Is they're talking a lot during sex. They could, um, that could lead to some, you know, information spilling out kind of stuff or some, you know what I mean? Some
1: exposition during the sex scenes?
0: A little bit, you know, like kind of how you had with the secretary scene where he's getting called to get this job or something. Like, you know, he could be like banging her, you know, doing her doggy style and he sees something, you know? Uh, There's a way to get it out. There's a way to use the sexist storytelling as well, I think. Um, Yeah.
1: Well, overall, though, my uh, feeling on the matter (laughs) is that I ended up liking both of them basically equally for different reasons. Yeah.
2: I
0: would say, like I said, I think there's like a great two-hour cut in there that could be made. I think you need to use your skills instead of doing this to do that.
1: Yeah, Um, that would take a lot of effort. If it was just that, like, there were scenes missing and that was it, it probably wouldn't be too hard to hack it all together. But then you have to worry about certain things happening in different orders and, like, no. music cues in the background and stuff lining up, and it's just, it's a whole thing. So I'm not going to do it, but uh, if somebody Challenge, out there wants to I'm do it...
0: challenging anyone that hears this to do it. Yeah,
1: do it. I um, dare you, you cowards.
0: And right now, you can go to Instagram at the raincoat report. And it's all just one word. Uh, if you want to message me with your fan cut of, it's called Dixie Ray,
1: baby. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, do you have anything else to say about Dixie Ray Hollywood star?
0: Um, you know, I think I watched the trailer that's, uh, I guess included on one of the, uh, on one of the DVDs you have of it.
1: Yeah. On the DVD.
0: Uh, And i got to say, I watched that before just to kind of get an idea of what it was. And it was a lot of blurbs from adult magazines. And this is from Cinema Blue, who I didn't really do too much research on. I think they're British, but uh, it says, Some of the most beautiful ball lickers on the X-rated screen. (laughs) And that hyped me up a lot more because there's really not a whole lot of ball licking that goes on in the film. To yeah. be quite honest, I don't think there's it's, any. It's
1: misleading.
0: It's misleading advertising. So if Cinema Blue's still in print, uh, write him a letter and say, please be more honest. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun.
1: All right. So that wraps things up for Dixie Ray, Hollywood star, and <laughs> in our inaugural edition of the Raincoat Report. Uh, for Jeremy, this is Boss. Uh, Let's all work together to keep 42nd Street alive and, uh, don't forget your raincoat.
2: See you around, Nick. See you at the movies.